guys. Welcome into a, another edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you along. A little Jerry Reed music to start the podcast today. I love a little Jerry Reed music, and we will try to close the podcast with something from the guitar man himself. But yeah, I'm hitting, uh, hitting it out of the park here with two podcasts in the same week. But I got a little time on Thursday, and so I thought I would uh, try to talk a little Browns, a little Buckeyes, a little Bengals. And a little college football as well. So thanks for joining. Appreciate you guys being a part of the podcast. And if you'd like to be uh, a bigger part of a movement that I really believe in, com slash Bruce, PatriotSwitch.com slash Bruce, and you plug in your contact information, I'll reach out to you and I'll tell you about the Patriot Switch movement, which is a movement meant to get people to shop for things they're already buying in a different way shop by ordering the items on the internet and having them shipped direct to your home. Why would you do that? Well, because A, the products are phenomenal. They're made from plants and plant extracts, so non-toxic. And we're talking about things that affect your body, like the soap you use on your clothes, the stuff you use to clean your countertop, and the stuff that you, uh, you know, use for vitamins, supplements, lotions on the body, mouthwash, toothpaste, on and on and on. Personal care items, and also healthy snacks, nutrition, protein powder, things like that. But it's not just an environmental thing. It's also a company that does not donate money to causes that I don't support. You know I'm pro-life. You know that I'm uh, conservative. And I think that a lot of the um, agendas being pushed in our schools are not healthy for kids. The company that requires me to have you express interest before I introduce you to them. That company donates to pro-police causes, pro-life causes, pro-America causes. And so it's a company I support. So enough about that, patriotswitch.com slash Bruce. I can tell you a lot more about it and tell you why I'm a part of it and uh, get you involved. But go to patriotswitch.com slash Bruce and off we will go. All right, Ohio State plays Toledo on Saturday night, 7 o'clock. And this is one of those games like the Arkansas State game last week that's not very exciting, okay? Now, they'll play Wisconsin next week, and it's a night game as well, and everybody gets geeked up because it's a Big Ten game and because it's a night game, but really, come on. Like, you don't expect them to lose to Wisconsin, nor do you expect them to lose to Toledo, nor do you expect them to lose, period, no matter who they're playing. And I've said and will stick with they're not going to have any chance of losing a game until they play Michigan later on in the year. But that's not a game Ryan Day can play, and so he's not playing it. Obviously, he uh, says things like, we've got to bring it every week, and la, 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 la. But here's the thing. You get into bad habits when you play bad teams. You get away with bad habits when you play bad teams. And those bad habits don't come back to bite you until you play a good team that can make you pay for the mistakes that you make. Toledo's not that team. They played Ohio State close. I think it was the year Luke Fickle was the coach in 2011. But I don't think it's going to be uh, close at all on Saturday night. Likewise, Alabama, which uh, got by by the skin of its teeth against Texas in Week 2. Alabama is playing uh, Louisiana Monroe. And somebody in the Alabama press conference kind of brought up the same thing to Nick Saban that, you know, eh, hard to tell what kind of team you really have if you're playing a team that you're so much better than and this precipitated one of Nick Saban's epic process rants and so I don't purport to imitate Nick Saban but Nick Saban you know does this better than anybody else he's like well that's your opinion on the quality of the opponent it's not mine 
Uh, and so, you know, every player should not be focused on who they're playing and relative to the motivation, but every player should want to be the best player they can be. Why would it matter whether we're playing Texas or playing somebody else? That's how you get good. That's how you develop the right habits. That's how you're consistent. And it went on. And it went on. And it went on. Three more paragraphs by Nick Saban ripping into this guy. All right. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? Let's see if we can get Nick Saban to talk. Go ahead, Nick. What do you got for us? Is it to gauge offensive growth when the quality of opponent can vary? You know, Utah State, Texas, and now ULM this week. Well, but, you know, that's your opinion on quality of opponent. All right. It's not mine. I, I respect all the people that we play. And I respect winning and what you have to do to win. Here we go. All right. So, and every player should not be focused on <laughs> who they're playing against relative to their motivation, but every player should want to be the best player they can be. So why would it ma- matter whether we're playing Texas or playing somebody else? That's how you get good. That's how you develop the right habits. That's how you're consistent. You know, I've told you guys more than once. When I was in the NFL, I watched players. I didn't know who they were playing against. I was just evaluating them. So that means when we play a team that's not as good as somebody else, you don't play as good. So you let the opponent determine how you play. You let the score determine how you play. You, de- you, you determine where you're playing. All right, that determines how you play. So when you get evaluated, what's somebody think? Oh, this guy plays pretty good at home. I don't think we'll draft him. Does that make sense? I guess it makes sense to Nick Saban, and I'm sure it makes sense. I'm I'm with it. I'm down with it. I get it. Pride of ownership. Do your best. All that kind of stuff. Bottom line is they're not going to lose to Louisiana Monroe. Ohio State's not going to lose to Toledo. And it's just funny to see how uh, even at his um, even at even with a fastball in his wheelhouse, Nick Saban can't work himself up to be as mad about that kind of a question as he used to be able to work himself uh, the frenzy he used to be able to work himself into about that kind of a question. Okay, so it's not a super exciting college football weekend. Nebraska plays at Oklahoma, which is, you know, if if you're a traditionalist, that's a great game, but otherwise, mm, not so much. Nebraska looking for a coach. Again, they can't do any better than Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell ought to be the hire. Here's the interesting thing about Nebraska to me. Uh, Dylan Rayola is a quarterback that Ohio State has a commitment from. They don't have a scholarship deal with him. They don't have a letter of intent. Dylan Rayola is supposedly the number one quarterback in the country. He's from Arizona somewhere, Arizona area, Phoenix area. Dylan Rayola's father played at Nebraska. And I think Ohio State anticipates whoever the next Nebraska coach is trying to make a strong push for Dylan Rayola playing on the Nebraska alumni ties. You come here, you help us turn it around. Now, will that work? I don't know. I don't know what kind of kid Dylan Rayola is. But I think that's reasonable to assume that that would be the way that the next Nebraska coach can make a huge, huge splash. Okay, now let's turn to the uh, NFL teams, Browns, Bengals, and uh, an interesting story out of Cleveland today that a friend of mine wrote, and we'll dig into that a little bit as it concerns not just the Browns, but also the Guardians, formerly Indians, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But first, let me remind you about my loyalty to Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. The first and most enduring sponsor of the We Tackle Life podcast. Get 15% off when you use the promo code We Tackle Life at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. And I misspoke last podcast when I said something about they ship orders of $30 or more. I left out a key word. They ship free 
orders of $30 more. They'll ship anything. But if you order $30 or more, they don't charge you shipping. So, I mean, if I'm you and I'm trying to maximize my savings, I am using the promo code We Tackle Life to order what would be, like, I don't know, what, $35 worth of stuff? Then you get it for $30, a little more than $30, and you get it shipped free. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, they buy their coffee direct from growers around the world, Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia, and other countries. Awesome coffee, an awesome mission, and they're great partners of us. And I love being affiliated with HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Chocolate, also have uh, teas, and they can put together a great corporate gift for you to send to a business that you are thankful you do business with or that you are hoping to prospect and do business with. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Okay, the Browns are making news not because uh, they won their opener against Baker Mayfield and the Panthers, but because apparently the rest of the nation has just now become aware that the brownie elf is a thing in Cleveland. Now, when I was a kid and a young, Brown, a young Browns fan, uh, the Browns featured the elf as kind of an alternative logo. And then the elf went away when the Browns went away, and they really, it, it really went away like during the Bernie era, really, and the Sipe era. It really wasn't much of a thing around the Browns, the elf. It was more of a late 60s, early 70s thing. Well, the Browns coming back into being in 1999, they wanted to be hip, they wanted to be trendy, they wanted as much as you can be with Browns uniforms and colors. So the elf also didn't make an appearance then. But now lately, for whatever reasons, nostalgia or whatever, it's been brought back up and gained a little bit of a cult following with the fan base. But now the Brownie Elf is a major thing because the team submitted to its fan base two different Brownie Elf images that were in the rotation for what could be used as a logo at midfield. And the Browns fans picked the running Brownie Elf. So he's like a little elf with a football under his arm, and he looks kind of snarky and nasty. And it's, uh, you know, as as logos go, it's fine. I don't have any problem with it. I think the Browns uh, should have some kind of a logo on their helmet. I know that's blasphemy to my friends like Joe and some some others. <laughs> Joe, I can hear you going, ah, blasphemy, Bruce. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, I wouldn't mind if they had a logo, but I don't think the elf should be the logo. But the elf is an okay thing for... Eh, I'd probably prefer it in the end zones rather than at midfield. But, uh, you you know, Browns are beholden to their fans, and the fans want to see the Elf, and so we'll see how the Browns play with the Elf. They play the Jets. The Jets on Sunday. Zach Wilson is not going to quarterback the Jets. They'll go with Joe Flacco. Zach Wilson uh, played a little bit in the opener. Joe Flacco came in. Flacco threw, I think Wilson played a little bit in the opener. Flacco threw 59 passes in the opener. 59. So they have no running game to speak of. And Garrett Wilson's making his uh, return to Ohio, the former Buckeye wide receiver. So the Jets should be no threat. Browns should be 2-0. and And when's the last time the Browns were 2-0? and I can't, but got to be a long time because the win at Carolina was their first win in the opener in like more than a decade. So the elf, though, is what has people's attention. Now, on Cleveland.com today, which is the plane dealer site, I got sucked into a story rating the starting quarterbacks in the NFL off their first week's performances. And 
I thought it was like the rating of the official quarterback NFL numbers, okay? Like, you know, they have this arcane rating system where like a perfect score is, I don't know, 169.99, whatever. I, I don't know what the perfect score is, but it's some weird number. It's not 100. It's not 250. Makes no sense to me. Anybody who can tell me how to figure out quarterback rating, good for you. Uh, put your slide rule back in your pocket. But, no, this is just some Cleveland writer's opinion of how all the quarterbacks in the country in the NFL played in week one. And (laughs) you can tell from this rating that quarterback rating is not exactly a specialty of anyone in Cleveland, given this guy's ratings, which have Jacoby Brissett, 25th, Baker Mayfield, 26th, and Mitch Trubisky, 21st. Now, I watched all three of those guys play last week. Baker, well, I didn't watch Baker play. I didn't watch, I watched Brissett play on the highlights. He missed way too many guys. Way too many. And uh, Baker had no time, so he was not as good as he can be. Trubisky was terrible. Terrible with the Steelers. He made one play, and it certainly contributed to them winning the game. But he had short field, and he had free seven points from a defensive interception return for touchdown. Trubisky 21st is a joke. Then the guy has Tom Brady 10th and Joe Burrow 9th. Now, I know Joe Burrow threw for 338 yards and two touchdowns. He also threw four picks and fumbled. Ninth ahead of Tom Brady, who went into Dallas and won? No. No to that. So, Burrow's got to play better. And we'll see if he can do it against the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, it doesn't uh, factor in at all that Dallas is without Dak Prescott. It doesn't factor in at all, I mean, in terms of how Joe Burrow plays because Dak Prescott doesn't play on defense. But the Dallas Cowboys will be starting Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush, his second career start at quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. So we'll see that that Bengals, uh, that Bengals offensive line, mm, mm, not a believer. Joe Mixon had like, 87 yards rushing and a bunch of carries. His per carry average was really bad. Dallas gave up a ton of rushing yards to Leonard Fournette and the Bucks. So maybe Mixon can get sprung this week, but uh, it would help the Bengals if Joe Mixon could give them more than three yards per carry as they try to put together a viable alternative to just having Joe Burrow drop back every single play. Because when he does, I mean, he's a target back there because their offensive line, even though they spent in free agency and they drafted and they tried to rope, make it more robust, it's just not getting the job done right now. Uh, speaking of the Steelers, I saw a headline today that made me laugh, not because I'm exulting in the injury to T.J. Watt, but uh, T.J. Watt has a torn peck, and so he's on injured reserve. And I sent Mr. Spielman a text with a link to the T.J. Watt story noting to Mr. Spielman they don't make linebackers the way they used to because he famously played played uh, most of a season with the Detroit Lions with a torn peck. And uh, he told a very funny story in uh, the book that we did together, uh, That's Why I'm Here, the Chris and Stephanie Spielman story, about having a teammate like slap his arm into position because his peck wouldn't function to like bring his arm back into position after every play, and he had it, you know, strapped within an inch of its life and and whatever. So anyway, I just laughed. Spiels probably looking at T.J. Watt sitting out with a door back saying, ah, what's the matter with you, man? Get out there and play. 
Oh, I miss my big man. I miss I miss the big man on the podcast, as I know all of you miss him as well. Uh, okay. Reminder, if you need an attorney, Willis Spangler Starling's the attorney that you need. They do a great job. I was over there this week. I recorded a podcast with Stan Willis around the importance of telling the truth. You can find that on the Willis Spangler Starling site, which is Willis Attorneys, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. They can handle probate, personal injury, wills estate planning, social security disability, uh, what else? Uh, workers' compensation. They have a they have enough attorneys to be wide ranging in their expertise, but they don't have so many attorneys that you become a number and you aren't a priority, no matter what your case is. They're just the perfect size. And they really do a great job with customer service. And when you go in to their offices on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, uh, very close to the uh, Lowe's complex and the Target complex, the Home Depot complex, when you go in, make sure you read their core values on the wall. Because I read a lot of core values on signs in businesses, and none, none have ever struck me as authentic and as heartfelt as the core values at Willis Spangler Starling. And they live to them, and they'll do a great job for you as their client. WillisAttorneys.com. WillisAttorneys.com. Okay, final sports thing today is a column in The Athletic, which I did not read because I have uh, quit my athletic subscription when uh, the New York Times bought The Athletic. I didn't want to support The New York Times. Uh but I do have a bunch of friends who write for The Athletic, and I really like some of the guys who work there. Uh, and one of them is uh, my longtime friend, Jason Lloyd. And Jason is the head of the uh, athletic.com in Cleveland site. And Jason, of course, uh, before he became a uh, very, very, very talented NBA writer covering the Cavaliers during the LeBron James title run for the Akron Beacon Journal, that's where Jason worked then, uh, Jason covered Ohio State, so that's how I got to know Jason. And he has since become a columnist at The Athletic, and he's writing a column today about, is it possible <laughs> that this year, or in some soon-to-be future year, the Cavs, Browns, and Indians could all contend for or win the world championship? Now, this is... Uh, an interesting scenario. Uh, no is my answer. No, they will not because I can't imagine that a the Browns are going to be able to win the Super Bowl this year, given that when Deshaun Watson comes back, he will have sat out almost two years, almost two entire years. That seems totally implausible to me. It also seems implausible to me that they would be in position to make a deep playoff run off a great playoff seeding because they're going to have to play 11 weeks with Jacoby Brissett as qu at quarterback or or the backup to Jacoby Brissett, which I just didn't see enough from him in the preseason or in the regular season opener to believe in that. And because they're the Browns, and they always seem to find a way to screw it up. But it is fun to think about that they even have a chance. Before, you would never even think they have a chance. Now, the Guardians... And I don't talk about the Guardians very much. The Guardians are playing right now. They're playing Chicago right now in a makeup game. The Guardians have a three-game lead in the AL Central. And I watched them, like, this past weekend. 
And I know like none of their players except Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. That's like it. And Tristan McKenzie, but very knew very little about Tristan McKenzie. But the Indians are a fun team, but the Indians are what the Indians always are when they're good, except for the year when they loaded up with Edwin Encarnacion and had the Yankees down 2-0 and couldn't close them out. They're the little engine that could. And they're like the little engine of the little engine that could this year. They got a but they just like play slap it from one place to another, one base at a time. Uh they're I, I can't fathom that if they run into a team like the Astros or the Yankees or somebody like that, that they won't get beat. But pitching, pitching can take you a long way, and maybe they will. But I would say no on the Guardians. Now, as for the Cavs, so the Cavs have introduced Donovan Mitchell, who they got from the Utah Jazz. They had to trade Colin Sexton and Laurie Markkinen to get Donovan Mitchell. Now, last year the Cavs were were interesting. The Cavs were good. They were surprisingly good. And they got Evan Mobley, and they got, you know, they got they got they got some talent. And Mitchell's a bona fide all-star. But NBA champions? Like, wow, that's a that's a big, 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 big jump. If in fact uh it's a plausible jump, I I seriously doubt. So uh good idea, Jason, a good premise. It's always nice when you're a, re- a reporter who can beat everybody to the punch on an idea that now watch, there'll be other people who will start to write this and it'll be, as it is now, the topic of podcasts and this, that, and the other. And what would it take? And wouldn't, what would that be like? And all that. But no. In fact, I would say none of the three of them will be in a position to play for the title, which means the Indians will not get to the World Series, the Browns will not get to the Super Bowl, and the Cavs will not get to the NBA Finals, I will go out on, which I don't think it's much of a limb, it's more of a, it's it's a very, very, it's like a tree trunk, and say that the Indians will not get to the ALCS, the Browns will not get to the AFC Championship game, and the Cavs will not get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I will say, I will say that without any fear of contradiction. They're all good, they're all worth rooting for, they're all worth watching, but if anybody says, hey, somebody who thinks they're going to... No, that's not what he said. He didn't say he thinks they're going to win. He just beat everybody the punch writing about it because all three of them have done things that increase people's excitement about them. And that's good because in the past they've all been, you know, really terrible. And they're definitely not terrible now. So congrats for the hard work you've done, Guardians, Cavaliers, and Browns. But there's just so much more... Uh, work to do. So much more work to do. Okay. This final read is uh, for those of you who uh, may be looking for a great corporate gift or a great, um, I, I mean, wedding cake or special occasion cake. I want to spiff my friends, which means recommend, uh, my highest recommendation. That's what spiff means. I want to spiff my friends at Miam Cake. Miam Cake. M-I-A-M Cake. M-I-A-M Cake. What is M-I-A-M Cake, Bruce? Miam, I believe in French, means yum. So Miam kind of sounds like yum. Miam, yum, 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 yum. Sounds like, sounds like yum, doesn't it? So it sounds like what it is, but Miam Cake, they specialize in uh, really, really cool ornate wedding cakes, bonbons, bean-to-bar chocolate. 
chocolate favors. You got to go to their site. You got to check it out what they have. They are amazing people and their stuff is to die for. It's so good, man. They are opening. They are opening a retail location and when they have it open, I will tell you. But right now, you got to set it up online. So if you're you got a daughter, niece, sister, friend getting married and you're looking for a wedding cake to knock it out of the park, Miam cake. Particularly, particularly if you have sugar-free, gluten-free, vegan tastes or, you know, standards, they will accommodate you and they specialize in that. So Miam cake, M-I-A-M, M-I-A-M, Miam cake, sounds like yum, means yum, spelled M-I-A-M, miamcake.com. Okay, now to the faith portion of the podcast. Today's the 15th of September, so I'm in where? Chapter 15 of Proverbs, correct. Those of you who've been listening for a while. And in chapter 15 of Proverbs, there are three verses that jump off the page at me because they are in close proximity to one another, and they say the same sort of thing. Verse 8 of Proverbs 15 says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. Verse 9, the Lord detests the way of the wicked. And in verse 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked. Now, we don't use the word detest very often in our society, but we know what it means. The Lord detests something. He, he hates it with a visceral hatred. So what does he hate? He hates the way of the wicked, the path they're on, the course they travel, the avenues they pursue. He hates the sacrifice of the wicked, which is everything you prioritize, which you would then offer back to God. Anything you produce in your life would be your sacrifice. Whatever you produce is what you have to give to God or give to your creator. What are you producing? That's your sacrifice. That's what you would offer up an offering from because you can't offer something you don't have. And so what you would be producing is what your sacrifice would be. He detests the sacrifice of the wicked. And he detests the thoughts of the wicked. What are you focused on? What are your objectives? What are your fascinations? What are you striving for? What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Now, so I thought about, okay, so what are those? Are those three different things or are those three the same things? The way, the thoughts, the sacrifice of the wicked. And I thought about people who are wicked, unrighteous, disobedient, sinful, uh, perverted, um, way off track, evil. And I thought how often the path, the way, and the thoughts of someone who is wicked center around activities that would relate to sexual immorality, sexual immorality. And what is God's plan for morality? What does God view as morality? Well, God views morality pretty pretty clearly. God designed a marriage to be a man and a woman forever in a faithful union, okay? An emotional union, a physical union, an economic union, a familial union, a relational union. That is how God designed 
a marriage to be, a man, a woman, forever. And what is the purpose? One of the purposes of that union is to produce children. And then in the confines of that marriage, given how God makes women and how God makes men with roles for each, he designs the mom to be, and we're speaking in generalities here, but but typically the mom is the nurturing force in the home. And typically... She is also someone who comes alongside the husband, assists the husband, augments the husband, supports the husband, builds the husband up. And a husband's role is to protect the family, provide for the family, and be the the disciplinarian and the spiritual rock of the family, the leader of the family. Those are the roles God designs for men and women. So if you have a marriage between a man and a woman, and then we get evil behavior intruding, and we get wicked thoughts, a wicked path, a wicked sacrifice, a wicked you know outcome, something produced from that marriage, very often that has happened because immorality has intruded on that marriage. Immorality in the ter- in the in the form of adultery. Immorality in the term of in, in the in the realm of pornography. Immorality like unfaithfulness in your mind. Just just uh, entertaining impure thoughts, focusing on those thoughts, ruminating on those thoughts. And if that happens, if anything like that happens, then that marriage becomes flawed. It becomes dysfunctional. That dysfunction festers in that marriage. And for that period of time, until there is some serious healing, repentance and healing in that marriage, that marriage will become less than it is intended to be and may in fact disintegrate. Now, what do we know about a marriage that disintegrates? We know from Malachi that God hates divorce. Why do you think God hates divorce? Well, because it stands to reason that if God designed a marriage to be forever between a man and a woman, and it doesn't reach forever, then it's failed to recognize its objectives. And God does not want things he designed to be perfect, uplifting, add to our joy in life, produce children, have men and women function in the roles that he designed for them. He does not want that to fall short of his expectations for it. So of course he hates divorce because it's failure and also because of all the things that have entered into it to cause it to result in divorce. And if you doubt how God views marriage and how much priority he puts on marriage and how and how great a esteem he holds marriage, just remember the fact that the church is described as the bride of Christ. He uses the marital imagery to talk about the way the church comes alongside Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and supports that message in the world, the way a wife supports a husband as they pull together toward accomplishing a whole series of common goals. That's how God shows how highly he prizes and prioritizes marriage, because he uses it as an allegory to the relationship between Christ and the church. And all of us who are disciples, and I'm not talking about the 12 disciples, I mean all of us who have put our faith in Christ to forgive us of our sins because of what he did at the cross, um, we are charged with playing our role 
in not only our individual marriages, but in the collective marriage of the church to Jesus and coming alongside him and furthering the message of the Gospels. So back to the verses in Proverbs, when this goes wayward around immorality, and we have, we have a lot of conversation now in our culture about marriages that are not between a man and a woman, about gay marriage. And there's this um, idea put forth out there that um, because Roe versus Wade was overturned, that the next thing that the uh, Republican Party is going to try to do is to overthrow gay marriage. And I've had people ask me on my radio show, uh, what's my status on gay marriage? Well, my, 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 my position on gay marriage is that gay marriage is not designed by God because a gay marriage, a same-sex marriage, by definition, does not feature a male participant and a female participant. It features two males or two females. So it, it's a perversion of God's design for marriage. And while no Christian should be hateful toward anyone who is gay, because anyone who's gay is outside the plan God has for their life, they're not living according to the morality that God clearly sets forth in Scripture in multiple places in Scripture, and they need to be welcomed into the church, and they need to be loved in a way that lets them know that forgiveness is there for them, but tolerance for their ongoing sin is not something the church can extend to them, then you have to be against gay marriage. You cannot be for something that is a poor reproduction, an inauthentic copy, a degradation of what God has designed marriage to be. That is just not something that an authentic Christian can be in favor of because we are told to be against the things that God is against. And there's no doubt in my mind that God is not an advocate for gay marriage. And this became clear to me the other day when I was reading in Romans, and Paul's writing in Romans 2 about the law of God. The law of God is the Ten Commandments. Right? God established his law, and why did he establish his law? He established his law to make his standards clear to all of mankind. Did he establish his law as a set of rules so that if you stay inside the lines of all the rules, you'll be acceptable in God's sight and go to heaven? No. Why? Because nobody can do it. Nobody can live by those commandments and not violate them. So he designed the law to show you, hey, look, check it out. You can't do it, but good for you. I designed a way you can do it. You put your faith in my son. He died on the cross for you. He obeyed my commandments. He offers you forgiveness, restoration. He offers you eternal life. Accept what he did for you on your behalf, and I look at you differently. I view you differently. But the law of God is not evil or flawed just because none of us mortals can keep it. The law of God, according to Paul in Romans 2, verse 26, is, and I quote, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. The embodiment of knowledge and truth is the law of God. So if following the Ten Commandments, and just to refresh your memory, that's no adultery, no coveting what your neighbor has, no putting anything before God. If you do that, then that's a way to embody, to act out, to live out the truth 
of Scripture, because the law of God is the embodiment of truth and knowledge, obeying the Ten Commandments is a way to embody all that in your life. Any modification of God's design, like a modification on marriage for gay marriage, would not, therefore, be an embodiment of truth. It would be instead elevating man's interpretation of truth over God's express establishment of what authentic truth is. So sexual immorality, gay marriage, adultery, unfaithfulness in your mind, pornography are all perversions, violations of the Ten Commandments, violations of God's truth. I'm not picking one over the other. I'm not saying gay marriage is worse than anything else. I'm not saying LGBTQ is worse than anything else. I'm saying it's all a reflection. Sex outside marriage, they're all the same in that they're all a perversion of God's truth and would be a demonstration of our path being flawed, our thoughts being flawed, our um, the production of our life, the what our life gives off, the sacrifice of our life, the thing we have to show for our life would all be in an indicator that we are flawed in those areas. And Proverbs 15 makes clear God detests that. I don't want to be in a position to have God detest my sacrifice. I don't want to be in a position to have God detest the path I walk. And I don't want to be in a position to have God detest the thoughts that I think. And so because of that, I have to align my thoughts not with what I feel, not with what I want, not with what I prefer would be the case in a perfect world where everybody would be acceptable and they could na 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 No, no, no. I have to align my thoughts, my way, my sacrifice with what God says he wants from me. And there used to be a bumper sticker that I'd see from time to time and say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Three statements on a bumper sticker. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, I got news for you. (laughs) Whether you believe it or not, if God says it, that settles it. Like, that's it. That's a flawed theological argument. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No. You don't have to believe it. He said it. That's it. Because all authority has been given to him. It's what Jesus said when he ascended to heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no place other than heaven and earth. There's no other authority, no nook or cranny where authority is hiding. Oh, sorry, not your authority, Jesus. No, he has all authority. So, um, thankfully, we don't have to be perfect because nobody can be. But we want to authenticate our receipt of his forgiveness by showing him, I get it. I get it. I get what you did for me at the cross. I get it. And I'm I'm going to operate under the assumption that if you would die for me, and that's good for me, that you died for me, and that I can be restored to you in heaven, then I'm going to assume you're not going to give me bad advice on how to live my life morally, in my work life, my relational life. <laughs> I'm going to assume that if you were ready to go to the cross for me and die to redeem me, that all these other things you tell me about my way, my thoughts, my sacrifice, I ought to pay attention to that, and I ought to prioritize that. 
to show you that I get the gravity, the depth of the great deal that I received in having your perfection applied to me. So that is the faith portion of the podcast today. And I hope that resonates with you. I hope that makes some sense to you. And I hope that it will strengthen you as you go forward. I do not elevate myself above anyone else. I have myriad flaws, myriad flaws, as do, as does everyone I know, as does everyone I know. And so, um, it's not, it's not a perfection thing. It's a, it's a forgiveness thing, but also an obedience thing out of gratitude for what Jesus has done. So with all that, uh, I will adjourn the podcast and tell you guys that I will, uh, Talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it very much. You can leave me a review on iTunes. You can send me an email, we tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon.